0: Bob, have no doubt about yourself, but especially have no doubt about my everlasting, ever-growing love for you. I am here. I am in. My heart is pure. My love is true. Evermore yours, Jen.
1: Today on Arts and Letters, we'll be talking with Jennifer A. O'Brien about her book, The Hospice Doctor's Widow, a journal published by Et Alya Press.
0: He's dying. I, I don't know what that's like, you know, to, to be dying and, and to just flat out acknowledging. I don't know what that feels like. Someday I'll know what that feels like, but I don't know what that feels like. And what I'm doing is surviving.
1: We're the survivors, forever change. Still here. The Hospice Doctor's Widow. On Arts and Letters. From the studios of KUAR in Little Rock, I'm Jay Bradley Minick, and welcome to Arts and Letters, a program providing opportunities for the celebration of the arts and humanities. Today, we'll be talking with digital artist, writer, and advocate for dialogue about the end of life. Jennifer A. O'Brien, about her book, The Hospice Doctor's Widow, a journal published by Et Alia
0: Press we had the foresight to transfer the cars and other property to my name. When the notary public made a comment about why we were doing it, we told her Bob was dying. She squirmed uncomfortably. I said, We're at peace with it. Something I had heard Bob say to others.
2: Is it something in you?
1: The journal is dedicated to survivors forever changed, still here, and chronicles a journey into the worlds of palliative care, the ethos of affirmation, and the struggle for peace and acceptance.
0: For the most part, it was true. At the end of life, people die. I wish more people would accept that openly. We're not at war with it, we're at peace with the fact that at the end of life, Death show me
2: what we're all made of how I'm dear I won't bite if we talk all night
0: juice you in life we are facing the tasks of getting things in order so that when the time comes, I will only have to love him, mourn his death, and miss him.
2: And when you wake in the morning, I'll be there. And if you wake in the evening, I'll be
1: there too. And we'll hear excerpts from the Gathering Hope Life Review interview with her husband, Bob Limber.
0: Bob, have no doubt about yourself, but especially have no doubt about my everlasting, ever growing love for you. I am here. I am in. My heart is pure. My love is true. Evermore yours, Jen.
1: The Hospice Doctor's Widow, a journal, Jennifer A. O'Brien. M-S-O-D. Welcome to Arts and Letters. Thank you. What a beautiful book. And I've been really privileged because I've been able to see a variety of iterations of it. Let's just talk about the line, I am in. Yeah. Because it's, it's a pretty bold statement when you're confronted with right. what you were confronted with in this situation. And I'm just interested in, in when you said, I am in, what that, that meant.
0: Well, truth be told, that note is a note I wrote to Bob long before he got sick, when we first fell in love, and he had some insecurities about our love for each other, or I should say about my love for him, you know, as one has. And so I wrote him that note to reassure him. I also used to make him, every time he would say, I love you, I would make him follow up with, and you love me. And after a while, he believed it because, because he was saying it himself. He somehow wasn't believing it as much when I was saying it to him. So yeah, the letter is from early on in the relationship long before the cancer diagnosis. But the truth is, I I went back and put this letter in this journal because, um, well, because it's my journal. And because I am in is just a big part of who I am, and I've realized that I'm not sure I chose to do this. I think this chose me, as I think has been the case with all of the unusual love situations that I've been faced with, my brother's death and my mother's death, and then falling in love with Bob and then him getting sick. And the truth is, being all in on love, even if it's going to have... A sad ending. There's no other way to do it, as far as I'm concerned.
3: Yeah. I find glimpses of you where I least expected. My mind puts you in the most unusual places. I miss our.
0: I pour over coffee every morning when he became too sick to do it I was too busy taking care of him to do it after he died one after one relatives stayed with me in the morning they would ask for coffee I would tearfully say he made the coffee one after one they would teach me how to make the coffee I still don't make coffee for myself most mornings I know how I always knew how. It was the love that he put into it that made me crave the coffee. I don't want coffee that isn't made with his love.
4: I
3: still feel your hands on Everything I reach for I still wait for you To walk through my front door I know that you're here with me And everything I do But it's hard
1: Tell us about the art for this, because yeah. it's integral. I mean yes. it's pictures and imprints and it's just it's a collage of beautiful art.
0: Yeah. Uh, tell us tell us. The about art that. is a huge part of it. Um so so I've I've been a self-taught collage artist since not long after my mother died, actually. You know, just I number one, I can't draw or paint. So I like the idea of (laughs) cutting things out and layering them. And layers are such an important part of life. And anyway, so I had been collaging for a long time. When we got Bob's diagnosis, almost instantly, I sort of turned to that notion of art journaling as a form of self-care. But the interesting thing about this is it's digital. These collages are done digitally. But one of the reasons I love the fact that it was digital collage is because it was the perfect balance of headwork and heart work. So I knew what I wanted to express in my heart. But when you're learning a new program, <laughs> your head has to be involved because I couldn't get it. You know, sometimes I couldn't get it to do what I wanted to do and had to figure out how do I achieve this effect so it was such a great combination of logic and frustration and and yet when it would come together and actually accomplish the emotive element oh it was it was you know and then of course I was just pouring my soul out into it and so yeah the art is a is an interesting part of it I think that's these particularly huge life challenges call for a balance of head and heart.
1: You're listening to Arts and Letters. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Arts and Letters. Let's continue our conversation with Jennifer A. O'Brien about her book, The Hospice Doctor's Widow, a journal.
4: You live and learn to.
1: Be. So tell us a little bit about Bob. I love the way that this is set up because it unfolds like a series of quilt patches. And each page is this beautifully rendered art piece with words and images. And color. Yeah. And the reason I say it is because it unfolds in layers. Like we begin with a note, but then we begin to learn a little bit more about his life and your life and then your parents and his history as a surgeon and then as a palliative care doctor. Tell us how you met.
0: So we met at a art opening at a gallery here in Little Rock. And um, I didn't know anybody here And I started talking with him and because he'd been a plastic and reconstructive surgeon and I had worked for the majority of my career for a a boutique practice management consulting firm that specializes in a number of surgical specialties, including plastic surgery. So he was familiar with the reputation of my firm. And of course, I had worked with lots of plastic surgeons before. But when he told me that he'd been a plastic surgeon for 33 years and faced with a neck injury, um, when he could have retired or whatever, kicked back, he chose to retrain in hospice and palliative care, and that was the head turner for me. Like, suddenly I was hooked. You know, of course he was cute, but that was something special because I'd worked with hundreds, maybe even thousands of surgeons, plastic surgeons and other types of surgeons. And they're wonderful people, but it was just more professional. And, and I'd worked with some internists who have a different approach, you know, more of depth and diagnosis. Surgeons are more on the fix-it mode. Somebody who could go from one to the other, who chose to go from one to the other, when he couldn't do the surgery anymore, that was just, that was just attractive. <laughs> Beware of
4: easy street The place where people meet Let your feelings show And feel it live
1: A particular favorite page of mine, because so much of this is kind of artistic rendering, and it's a feel. Yeah. You put a face to it. And the one I'm thinking about is the picture of you and him. And in it, you write, This is us. My husband, who hates having his picture taken, said after receiving the diagnosis, If you want a good picture of me, we need to take it soon. Luckily, I mentioned that I... A photographer, etc. And yeah. there's this lovely picture that he's sitting there, kind of with his arms around you, and you guys do look truly happy. You were even with yes. all this going on in the background. Yeah. Um, so, uh, tell us in a sense about the picture. But what you write is the picture perfectly captures our love and happiness. And um, I don't. I just loved it because it it put faces to to you and to him and.
0: He really didn't like having his picture taken and very rarely <laughs> did it. And he was absolutely right about, if you want a good picture of me, let's get it soon. Because even though he never looked terrible, he never lost his hair or those sorts of things, there were little things that happened. And, you know, a year into it, he he didn't look like that anymore. He He looked good, but he didn't. He didn't. He didn't look like that. I think that's another takeaway kind of learning point from it is when you do get a diagnosis like this before the surgery or the whatever starts, get a good photo because you just never know. And maybe you're going to completely recover and heal, but maybe you're not and you won't look the same. You won't, you know, so... Mm -hmm. So now he knew from treating patients that the disease takes a toll, the treatment takes a toll, and you just don't look at yourself. I had thought about having our picture taken but was saddened by the reason for it. On some level, I thought I could postpone the inevitable by delaying the picture. The picture perfectly captures our love and happiness Someday soon, I will cherish this photo even more, because looking at it will help me recreate the feeling of his arms around me. I'm so lucky to have you, to watch over me, make me believe. It's been months since we got his diagnosis.
4: It's your laughter that brings me to life, and all that I can survive. It's your love that makes me strong.
0: While the health care he has received is unmatched in quality, he has said many times: it is the love and kindness that have kept him alive.
4: Remember, I love you. You light up my day Take me away You take me away You take me away You take me away
5: So the, now that you know I have a, a stage four disease, you know, I've had a new experience now, the experience of you know being faced with the end of life. I was more it was more frightening than I thought it would be. You know, I I got the biopsy and the you know, then ENT guy called me and said, oh, this is some kind of clear cell, undifferentiated, whatever. And it still didn't quite sink in. I said, what? I don't know what to talk about, but, you know. Got a PET scan. I went and looked at the PET scan. It was done early in the morning. And the guy, the radiologist said, Bob, I, you know, we've been friends for a long time. I gotta tell you, this is not good news. It's in your spine. Your, your, Thoracic spine. Um, you know this. This is this is not a good deal. And I thought, well, yeah, gosh, that's, well, we'll work it out. And I tried to go to work that morning. And when I got to work, I saw Sarah, but I think I started crying. I mean, I, I couldn't. I could not stop crying. But I'm terrified.
0: So the Gathering Hope Life interview is something that some people who work in palliative care and hospice and end-of-life are trained to facilitate them and in fact the VA has quite a program with this now of patients telling their stories and they're being recorded and then transcribed. This is standard if you get ill or you can ask. For somebody to do a gathering hope life interview. And so it was one sitting, Clark, who was a, a young physician that had trained under Bob in palliative care and hospice at the university. He was certified in, in conducting these and he asked mm-hmm. Bob if Bob would be willing. And so they sat in our living room. It was one sitting. I made myself scarce at that point because I really felt like this was theirs, you know. Mm-hmm. And they uh sat and talked, I think Clark asked some pretty open-ended questions and then just let Bob do most of the talking.
5: You know, I grew up in a classic, you know, post-World War II uh, family. My dad was, you know, German. I remember growing up
2: Painting walls and skimming rocks Fences and broken trees behind the house where we used to meet falling down, learning how to breathe.
5: My mother, she could not hold me. I was so ugly. I'm getting
2: ugly.
5: yelled and screamed and you know cried and, and the housekeeper maid we called them then uh you know basically took care of me apparently I I mean obviously I don't remember.
2: Some days feel like I went straight
5: I went off from this t- little school <clears throat> where I was awkward in that size group and I never really felt like I fit in I went from there to the University of Texas where I, I mean there were oh, 500 people in my chemistry class like that I, I didn't I didn't know what to do I didn't know how to how to manage this um, So my my first year, my first semester of college was a disaster. I mean, I, I was scared, I was awkward, I was, you know, I was depressed. Once again, my first year of medical school, I didn't do well at all. It became obvious I wasn't going to be able to keep operating. My neck was hurt. Still couldn't sleep at night. Um, but anyway, I. I retired then from plastic surgery. That was 2007. So, you know, the past, since 2007, I guess the last eight years of my life have no question been the happiest, most fulfilling. Eight years ever. If you
2: could see me now, I'm getting if You could see me now,
5: I'm getting I, I just, I can't tell you how much all this has meant to me to be involved with palliative care. It's just, I mean, it's literally made up for all the unhappiness that I had in my life.
1: So, um, Jennifer, what's the difference between palliative care and hospice?
0: Let me tell you what they have in common first. They have in common that they are both an interdisciplinary team approach. So they both include a physician, an advanced practice nurse or PA, a chaplain, and a social worker. Where they're different is that palliative care focuses on living life fully with serious illness. So it doesn't mean you're dying. It doesn't mean you've given up. It doesn't mean you're old. Palliative care means you're taking a much more comprehensive and holistic approach to living with serious illness meaning the symptoms the side effects of drugs when you get diagnosed with a serious illness it has a huge impact on not only you but your family and those close to you and and palliative care just looks to help you manage life with this serious illness now at the end of life we die and those who have a serious illness frequently die from the illness or from side effects from medications from the illness. So the two are very close and are in specialty. They, they're sort of coupled together because theoretically and practically speaking, when you've been involved with a palliative care team through your serious illness, then when it comes time to transition to hospice, when there is no longer any sort of curative or life-prolonging treatment available, then that same team can transition with you to hospice. Now, it's not always the same team. Some programs really focus on palliative care and they will help you transition to a hospice environment, but they are different. Hospice means you're not receiving any treatment other than those that make you comfortable. And palliative care just helps with all that comes along with living with a serious illness.
1: So he continued to work?
0: Yes. You know, I'm,
5: I'm, feel fortunate that I can still, still go to work every day and still enjoy it. And Jennifer understands that if I didn't, if I didn't work, I'd be miserable. I mean, I wouldn't know what to do. I mean, that's all I've ever done in my whole life that I was good at was practice medicine.
1: How did his illness? affect and kind of inform the way he helped others?
0: Honestly, I didn't talk with him in depth about that. I don't think he shared with many patients that he had cancer. But yeah, I I don't know. My guess is that on occasion, he felt like it would help the patient to know. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of the time, my guess is he didn't share it because Mm -hmm. it's at that point, it's about the patient, and you don't need the patient and their family worried about no. you and your illness, right. you know, so...
1: But at the same time, it had to affect oh, the way he talked with them. Oh, it gave him a lot
0: more perspective. He would come home occasionally and say, I saw a patient today in clinic, and his wife was with him, and it, it made me realize, you know, oh, how hard this right. is on you. So there was that. And then in the toward the very end, he certainly... Admitted one night that some of the things that he would tell patients they needed to do, you know, were really hard.
5: With with end of life patients, of course, we can't, they're not going to have a normal life. If they can find some kind of peace, though, if they can find some kind of peace, you may have, you may be able to give them something that they've
1: never had before
5: in their whole life.
1: I know you have stickers. I do. And I don't know if they're bumper stickers yet. I have several of the stickers. (laughs) I love them. And it's an at sign and a peace sign. Yeah. And it comes from a statement where they asked how he was doing, and Bob said, "We're, we're at peace with it. And it's nice that you have a kind of emblem. So this idea of being at peace.
0: Right. Well, I'll admit most of that came from Bob rather than me initially. I mean... He had done a lot of introspection and personal development and the notion of, of acceptance and that in acceptance lies peace. We were both separately before we met and, and then together always at peace with the notion that at the end of life comes death. How can you not be at peace with that? It's a reality. There is absolutely nothing that's ever going to change about that. Everyone dies at the end of their life. And so, why would we do anything but be peaceful with it?
1: This is Arts and Letters. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Arts and Letters. Let's continue our conversation with Jennifer A. O'Brien about her book, The Hospice, Doctor's Widow, a Journal*.
3: And I'm so sorry it will never be the same My eyes glossed over me you still remain The room kept spinning I couldn't feel a thing When my eyes glossed over
0: but you still remain The room kept me. He has helped families understand by telling them they were into precious time, meaning death is likely, if not imminent. Precious time is when you say what you need to say and you don't say what you will later regret. Now it's us. We are into precious time. He's going to die of this disease, and I will go on and have to live with how I handled our precious time.
3: The lights flicker on cross the street while the world continues on like it's an ordinary day but it all feels dull and dark to me oh my darling it will never be the same my eyes glow
1: And you call it precious time, and I just must imagine that this reorganized your world in terms of what time was. Right. And I'm just, I'm wondering how you both reconstituted time as this unfolded.
0: Bob would say to patients and their families when they got to a point of, you know, where death was imminent, he would say to them, you are into precious time now. And he said it in a way I think the emphasis was on the word precious. Like, yes, time is precious. There's no question about that. Life is precious. But he would say, you're into precious time now where you need to say what you have to say to each other and not say what you'll later regret saying to each other. And this was his way of helping the family understand where they were in this process. And it's so important, having been through the deaths of friends and families who don't realize, no, it, it's happening, it's imminent, and afterward, you know, have regret that potentially was preventable if they had known they were into the phase of precious time. So now we were both very familiar with this concept of precious time that he had formulated for patients and their families, and now it was us. And, and you're right. The time factor in the whole thing is just, I mean, precious time can also be very difficult time, because there is that pressure that it's precious time. We're going through two different processes. He is dying, and I am surviving. Cold,
4: cold spring. Flowers are blooming
0: He is writing goodbye letters to some of the people he loves.
4: Cold frost nights Wind blows harshly Sun's blinding light goes
0: out I know he won't write one to me. I'm a little envious of those who will be receiving those letters, which I am stamping and taking to the post office. Mostly, I'm glad he's writing the letters. At this point, we've tried four different chemotherapies. We really don't know if a couple of the chemotherapies helped to slow the disease progression, we do know, however, that with a couple of them, Bob has experienced side effects of the sort that make one wonder if the treatment is worse than the disease.
4: Trees, unrelenting, to
0: Today, I couldn't open a jar. I didn't ask him because I'm certain he is too weak. My heart is broken that he is no longer my strong husband who can open jars for me. Asking him would only have broken his heart too. I will not miss the sleepless nights filled with his relentless moaning, wheezing, and suffering. I will not miss trying yet failing to comfort him. I will not miss wrapping his swollen legs. I will not miss giving him injections. I will not miss changing the sheets in the middle of the night because of his night sweats. I will miss loving someone so much that I do all of those things.
4: On forever. Cold, dark days. It's time for the weather.
5: Oh, I hope Jennifer gets through this okay. I I you know, I I think that's one of the hazards of you know, marrying someone, you know, eighteen years younger is that. No, normally, though, I mean, this is this was unexpected. Normally, I would expect it. you know, we have another twenty years. Uh, but you know, I, I hope she does okay through this. We're running forward and falling back
3: with each new script. You say it's hell
0: this is an email from January 11th we admitted Bob to home hospice on Monday afternoon he seems to be at the beginning stages of letting go pray for quick and quiet the miracle is peace
3: you're getting thinner talking in past tense I try not to cry but it doesn't Make sense to me, will you make it through the holidays? Will you be there on the wedding day? I will do ever takes, if there's even latches that, that you live another day.
5: I think it's important that I. People I tried. I, I was doing the best I could. I didn't do it right. I really didn't. I screwed up bones, but I tried.
0: As he sleeps, getting closer and closer to death, I arranged this tableau to introduce my loved ones who have gone on before to my beloved who will join them very soon.
1: And the tableau is a series of pictures of those that, and your pictures in there.
0: I took this table in our living room. He was asleep in the bedroom. And and at that stage, sleeping so much, and while I would be with him, you know, when he was sort of coming to and going into sleep, I mean, I'm perfectly healthy, so certain point you can't lie there for 18 hours out of the 24 right sure so anyway at one point I started to think about my grandmother and my brother and my mother and my grandfather and the people who I loved who had gone on before so I laid out pictures of them and then some things that were precious to him so when you're a Texan you don't have your first pair of shoes bronzed you have your first pair of boots bronzed those are his first pair of boots and his Grey's Anatomy and a book of Bob Dylan lyrics. Bob was a huge Dylan fan, and then our picture together and some incense and and then I. I took a photo of it and you know sort of, embellished edited the photo so that. It...
1: And the uh, new Oxford annotated Bible.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was Bob's. Um, so interestingly, Bob had only ever lost in his life, his parents. He had never lost anybody else to death. Both of them lived to their 90s. I would say he had a relationship with them that perhaps at times was strained. So when he was getting closer, he kind of looked at me one night and he said, so do you think I'm gonna see my parents? And I said, well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I believe. And so it, it dawned on him, and then, of course, me at that point, that he didn't have anybody waiting for him like I do, right? And so I started to think about it, and I don't know, maybe the next day I said, you know, Bob, you know who is waiting for you? My mother's name is Victoria. My grandmother's name is Babe. And I guarantee you, they're waiting for you. They can't wait. And um, and so over the next few days, I would say, Bob, what's my mother's name? Margaret? My mother's name is Victoria. My grandmother's name is Babe. And then finally, Bob, what's, you know, a couple of days later, what's my mother's name? Victoria. <laughs> so, yeah, so... I'm pretty sure they had the martinis mixed up and we're ready to greet him.
1: One thing I like that Bob said is had having seen so many people die, that he realized that itself, the act of dying, is is peaceful. Mm-hmm.
0: He died peacefully with his hand in mine at one this morning. That is what my text to family and friends read. Death may be peaceful for the patient, but it is not for the loved one in the room. During those last hours, they don't really look like themselves. They don't smell great, and they can be loud. Mucus builds up in the airway, and breathing is a loud rattle. Such was the case with Bob. I knew we were at the end. I knew he wanted me and me alone with him. With each and every loud breath he took, I found myself holding mine, waiting to see if he would take another. I finally decided to settle in for another night. In the chair beside his bed, I put my earbuds in, and I turned up Mary Gauthier's Mercy Now, an album that he had introduced me to many years prior. I could feel each word and note as I could feel his hand around mine. I saw the clock strike midnight, and then I must have fallen asleep, which is not in and of itself a miracle. He could use
3: some mercy now.
0: The next thing I knew, it was 1 a.m. The hospice nurse had come into the room and said, it's quiet in here. And sure enough, he had died while I was asleep. My hand was still in his, and his hand was still warm. It was the last gift we gave each other.
3: The you persist, when it's not easy. You let down your guard and you keep on believing. You walk like you mean.
0: he is gone, and I'm undone. All I can do is cry out to him, please come back. Please, Bob. Please come back. Please.
3: You're standing upright. No one can shake this. You're passed in its shape.
0: The sound of his voice lasts. I can I can hear it. I can hear it today.
5: I, I think what I what I would tell people is be nice. Just be nice. It's easier in that way.
1: So for those of us who are suffering through, um, does it get better? Does it dissipate? Does it, um, can we see the world differently and with some light?
0: Yeah. I think there's a difference between grief and the sense of having lo- lost someone. You know, people talk about getting over it. You don't ever get over having lost someone, but that raw... Grief, that bent over, please come back, please come back, you know, repeating for crying incessantly does actually cease. And there'll be a few moments between episodes and then there'll be an hour and then there'll be a day where you did not not think of him, but you weren't doubled over in grief. And it's so nice when it gets to that. I think a lot of people who haven't been through it think that it never gets to that. And, that, and then they don't want to, oh, I'm so sorry I brought that up. And it's like, no, 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 no. I love it when people talk to me about him. I love it when people mm-hmm. um, bring things up or when I say, yes, today, today was our anniversary. And, and then there's this reaction of, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, there's mm-hmm. like, no, 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 no. It was a great day. It's an anniversary of the day that we married, you know? So, yes, it. there's a really incredible quote that I came across years ago. Of course, I won't know it verbatim. Mm-hmm. From a novel called Memoirs of a Geisha. And I think she's just lost someone. And she says something about grief being like a window wide open to the cold air. And you shiver and you shiver and you can't. You can't get warm. And a little bit each day, the window closes until you wonder what's become of it. And again, that's just the grief. That's just the raw grief. The the loss and the love, they never go away. The looking back with longing is slowly disappearing and I can feel what's next coming on. Is
2: it? Something in your walking that makes you look like that. Your dreams and lost ambitions
0: that I can't head. smell him anymore, and I make my own pour over coffee almost every morning.
2: Well,
1: broadcast from the studios of KUAR in Little Rock. You've been listening to Arts and Letters. Thanks for joining us. To check out past episodes, go to artsandlettersradio.org. Thank you to singers and songwriters Ashton, Barbary.
2: I'll be there.
1: And if you, win, if you and Brian. No. For the beautiful soundscapes, haunting music, and songs. A special thanks to Mary Gaucher for the use of her song, Mercy Now.
4: Could use a little mercy now.
1: Thank you to Clark Smith, MD, who conducted the Gathering Hope Life Review. The interview with Robert Limber, M.D. Thank you to Joseph Fuller of Orchestra of One for helping to mix and for mastering the episode. Thank you to Sticky's Rock and Roll Chicken Shack for keeping music alive and well in Arkansas. Thank you to Mary Ellen Cuba for living this one with me and for the smart and thoughtful suggestions. Generous funding for Arts and Letters was provided by the Arkansas Humanities Council and the National Endowment for the Humanities. Thank you to writer and collage artist Jennifer A. O'Brien for the inspirational interview, the heart, the humanity, and for showing us all how to honor grief. For Arts and Letters, I'm Jay Bradley Menick. Let's heed these words from Lao Tzu. Being deeply loved by someone gives you strength while loving someone deeply gives you courage. and Letters is a production of Living the Dream Media.